Well, good morning. We're glad you're here as we kick off uh, 2018, our first time uh, to be together. And you may have uh, been coming to the Bible Chapel a long time. You may just be getting started. But I'd like to start this morning by letting you know what our vision is and how we kind of measure that vision in the different ministries of the church. Uh, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna hear a, a lot of opportunities. Uh, Kirk shared those here in the South Hills, uh, the other campuses. We shared the other opportunities we have. You're going to hear a lot of opportunities during the year. We want to make sure you understand how this fits into uh, the vision of the Bible Chapel. So here at the Bible Chapel, the vision is to develop followers of Jesus Christ. Here in the South Hills of Pittsburgh, in the greater Pittsburgh area and throughout the world. We even have a partner church, you guys, in DeBerry, Florida, enjoying 57 degrees there. It's 12 here. Uh, so uh, not only uh, here in the Pittsburgh area, but throughout the world. And we love that word develop because it means two things. One, it means to bring into reality. So that includes evangelism. That includes the non-believer. And so we want to reach out uh, into our community and, 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 and share the message with those who don't know Christ. The word develop also means to make stronger, and that includes the believer. So evangelism and discipleship are both included in this word develop. We exist our vision is to develop followers of Jesus Christ. Now, if you have a vision, you have to be able to measure it. You have to be able to figure out if this thing's really working or not, right? So one of the things we do, we have some things that a developing follower of Christ should look like, and we have some things that we evaluate our ministries here. One, we believe a developing follower of Jesus Christ is going to be involved in five things. We call those our five essentials. Word, worship, connect, serve, share. If you're a developing follower of Christ, you're going to be involved in reading God's Word. You cannot grow unless you are in God's Word on a regular basis. You're going to be worshiping the Lord with your life, not just coming and singing some songs on uh, a Sunday morning or a Saturday night, as great as that is, but worship is a 24-7. Worship is my daily response to God's eternal grace. I am worshiping wherever I go. I'm honoring God with my life. Connect is the third thing. You've got to be connected with other believers. Christian life was never meant to be lived solo. And if you're on your own, and you know if you're on your own, you're in a dangerous, unbiblical position. Iron sharpens iron. Proverbs 27 says, so one person sharpens another. Uh, uh, two are better than one, uh, Ecclesiastes says. Uh, if you fall down, who's going to help you get up? It's not good for a man to be alone. Look all through Scripture, and the community that we see through Scripture is right there, begins with the person of God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and we made in his image, we need that community as well. So word, worship, connect, serve. You've got to find a place to serve. What's your gift? We're going to be talking more about that. First Peter 4.10 says every person has at least one gift and should use it to serve others, and you need to be telling others about Jesus. That's share. Word, worship, connect, serve, share. Now, that's what you need to do to evaluate your life. Are you developing as a follower of Christ? Five essentials. As a church, we here evaluate our ministries with what we call three E's. Engage, equip, employ. An engaged ministry is reaching out to those who are spiritually disconnected to bring them to Jesus. An equipped ministry is teaching those who are believers for spiritual growth. And 
uh, and engage equip employee ministry is to get people going, those who are growing, out doing the work of the Lord. That may be here, that may be in our community, that may be around the world. Every ministry we do here at the Bible Chapel, as we're planning ministries for the year, as every uh, ministry leader comes and says, hey, here's some things we're, we're planning this year, here's some vision that we have, it has to be an engage ministry, an equip ministry, or an employ ministry. That makes sense? So anytime you see a ministry, and you'll see a lot of them, just think about, okay, where does, where does that fit in? For instance, we're going to have our friendship uh, weekend coming up at the end of uh, uh, January. I'll give you a date for that in a second. That is an engage ministry. It's all hands on deck. Who are you going to invite to come to hear the message of Jesus Christ shared clearly? Tunch will be leading that with uh, John Colby, um, or John Cole, brother, a former Steeler. And who are you going to invite to that? The campuses will be doing their own friendship Sunday. So who are you going to invite to hear the message of Christ? That's our Engage weekend. All right. Father, thank you for the opportunities that you give us every day of our life. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in each of our lives. We come today and each of us, uh, we're different. And we've got different stuff going on, not only in our personal lives, but in our our family and, and our jobs and our friends. And, uh, Lord, we uh, have sung here in the South Hills that, uh, that, you are, um, that you're a good, good father. And uh, we know, Lord, that whatever you take us through in our lives, that, uh, that you challenge us and you stretch us. And I pray, Lord, that you would teach us today as we, as we think through this critical topic that we're going to talk about. I pray, Lord, that you would speak to us as only you can do. So be with us as we open your word. Again, uh, uh, teach us in the, in the depths of our hearts. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. So there's this guy named uh, uh, Seth Godin. Anyone heard of Seth Godin? He's a blogger and writer and writes a lot of stuff. I don't know if he's a believer or not, but, but a lot of his stuff, uh, very uh, insightful and very hard-hitting. And he writes this uh, blog. It's titled, The Worst the world's worst boss. The world's worst boss. And he starts the first sentence with this, the world's worst boss, that would be you. If you're not self-employed, your boss is you. You manage your career, your day, your responses. You manage how you sell your services and your education and the way you talk to yourself. Odds are, you're doing it poorly. If you had a manager that talked to you the way you talked to you, you'd quit. If you had a boss that wasted as much time as you do, they'd fire her. If an organization developed its employees as poorly as you're developing yourself, it would soon go under. Listen to this. It's amazing, he says how often people choose to fail when they go out on their own or when they end up in one of those rare jobs that encourages one to set an agenda and manage themselves. There are a lot of books written on it, he says, but um, fewer on managing your, yourself. But he said it's hard to think of a more essential thing to learn. It's hard to think of a more essential thing to learn. Think about that. A job 
that allows you to set your own agenda and manage yourself. That's what we want to talk about over the next few weeks, managing yourself, managing you. The biblical word for managing ourselves is stewardship. And when we hear the word stewardship a lot in church, we think of what? Money, right? We always think of money. And that's part of it. But stewardship is recognizing that God owns everything and entrusts us with not just money, but time and talents and treasures to wisely manage for his glory. Think of it. God gives us those things to wisely manage for his glory. And we're the only ones who can do that. Now, we may have assignments put on us by babies or bosses or spouses or, or supervisors, but we are the only person who can manage our lives, the only person who can manage our attitudes and the way we respond to stuff. Again, it's a rare job. This Christian life is a rare opportunity that encourages us to set an agenda and manage ourselves. How are you doing in managing yourself? Ephesians 2, 8, and 8 through 10 says this. We, we know the first two verses well. For by grace you've been saved through faith, that not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not of works, so that no one could boast. But check this out. We are God's workmanship. We are God's workmanship. There is no one like you. God has created you a special person. No one has your fingerprint. Someone came up to me after the first service and said she's a twin and uh, told me that they're like identical twins and they share everything, but uh, their cousin or something's in the FBI and so they tried the different fingerprints and their fingerprint was totally different. You are unique. There's no one like you. You're God's workmanship, uh, Paul says here. That word means masterpiece. You are his work of art and you've been created in Christ Jesus to do good works that God prepared in advance for you to do. Think about that. God has had you on his mind from eternity past. There's never been a time when you have not been on the mind of God. And he has good works for you to do, special things for you to do, things that only you can do. No one else, no one else has your fingerprint. No one else has your gifts. No one else is in your family. No one else has your network of friends only you. God knew when you were going to be born. He knew where you were going to be born, and he knew why you were going to be born. He has created special works just for you. Following Jesus and growing in that relationship is one of those rare opportunities, as Godin says, for us to set our own agenda and manage ourselves. Again, stewardship is recognizing that God has given us, that he owns everything, and has given us time and talents and treasures. So here's where we're headed over the next few weeks. Next week, we want to talk about managing our gifts, our spiritual gifts, or our talents. The week after that, we're going to talk about managing our view of life. Scott Arve is going to take that week, Sanctity of Life Sunday. We're going to talk about managing our view of life from, from conception to the grave. 
January 27, 28, Tunch is going to lead that. That's our Friendship Sunday. We've been doing this for about 25, over 25 years now. And at the campuses, you guys are having your own, you're going to have your own Friendship Sunday uh, with the different uh, service there. But here at the South Hills, uh, Tunch will be with John Kolb. And that's someone uh, to, to bring, bring someone to hear the message of Christ. February 3 and 4, we're going to talk about managing our treasures and uh, we'll talk about money and, and, and how God looks at money and how we should respond to that. And then after that, we're starting a, an eight-week study on the book of Job and talk about how Job responds to all the stuff going on in his life. But today, we want to begin with this beautiful gift that God has given us called time. So take your Bibles and go turn to Genesis chapter 1. Let's start there right from the very beginning. Genesis chapter 1, we're going to look at verses 3 through 5, and the thing I want you to see is that the very first creation of God, very first creation, is time. God created a framework for time. Look at verse 3. And God said, let there be light, and there was light, and God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light, what? Day. And he called darkness, what? Night. And there were morning and evening, and there was morning the first day. Just think about that. The very first creation of God is this framework of time. And wherever you have lived in the history of the world... Every person, although different in many, many different, in, in many ways, living in different places, every person has had the same framework of time, 24 hours, 1,440 minutes, 86,400 seconds. Everyone has the same amount of time. And as one person says, the way you use that time either makes you a person of mediocrity or a person to be reckoned with. If you have a dollar, there are two things you can do with a dollar, right? Well, not much you can do with a dollar, but two ways you can use a dollar. You can, you can spend it or what? Save it, right? But not so with time. We're spending it right now. You can only invest time or you can waste time. Time cannot be saved. So what we want to do in time remaining is talk about our use of time. And I want to put out three things uh, for us to do, three things for us to think about. I want to tell you these are very simple. There's nothing profound about any of these, but I just want to give them to you. And then the ball is in your court because you are the only person who can set your own agenda. And you are the only person who can manage your time. No one else can do that. So I'll give you these ideas, and then you customize them for your life. But the ball is in your court and my court when it comes to our use of time. Number one, prayerfully surrender your time to God. Prayerfully surrender your time for, to God. So Moses was this great leader. Uh, Deuteronomy 34 says there was, from a human standpoint, there was never a prophet 
like Moses who did the mighty works and the awesome deeds that he did. No one like him. We would all say Moses' life, if you look at it from a human standpoint, was pretty successful. He carried out what God wanted him to do, right? Moses, in chapter uh, 90, the Psalm 90, he writes this. The years of our life are 70, or even, by the reason of strength, 80, yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we what? We fly away. So Moses said, this thing's going fast. These seconds are ticking off. Think about how many seconds have ticked off since I told you there are 86,400. Kind of depressing, isn't it? It goes fast. Moses said they fly away. And so he says because of that, Psalm 90, verse 12, so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Teach us to value time so that we can do things well, so that we don't have more knowledge, but we have more wisdom. David, great man of God, man after God's own heart, had his issues, man after God's own heart. He wrote in Psalm 140, 144, that life goes so fast. He described it as a breath. It's like a breath that we breathe out. It's just here and gone. He described it as a passing shadow. And then in Psalm 39, he wrote this. Lord, he prayed, Lord, let me know how fleeting I am. It's kind of humbling, isn't it? Lord, let me know how fleeting I am. I'm just here for a time, and I can't waste a second of the opportunities you've given me. You have put me on this earth. I'm your workmanship. You put me on this earth for a reason. And I don't want to miss what you've given me. That's why we have to use the gifts God's given us. Skip the time wisely. Max Weber, a sociologist, wrote this. Waste of time is thus the first and, in principle, the deadliest of sins. The span of human life is infinitely short and precious. Loss of time through sociability or idle talk or luxury, even more sleep than necessary for health, is, is worthy of absolute moral condemnation. It does not yet hold with Franklin that time is money. But the proposition is true in a certain spiritual sense. It is infinitely, time is infinitely valuable because every hour lost is lost to the labor for the glory of God. Think about that. Every hour lost is lost to the labor of the glory of God. So, like Moses, like David, every day, prayerfully surrender your time to God. God, this is your time. I am on your clock. I am on your time. And I want to do today what you want me to do. I got plans. I got things that need to be done. I am going to use them to honor you. I'm going to use them for your glory. This is your time I'm using for you. Number two, again, basic stuff, schedule time with God. You have a doctor's appointment, it's going to be on your calendar, isn't it? If you have um, um, a sales meeting, it's going to be on your calendar. 
If you're a teenager and you have a date, it's going to be on your mind and it's going to be on your calendar. We schedule things that are important to us. And what would be more important than spending time with God? Today's technology is shaping the brains of our kids like nothing before. Our boys and girls that growing up in this technological age will spend 20,000 hours accessing 20,000 hours accessing the inter- internet and 10,000 hours playing video games. One researcher says that this is just rewiring our kids' brains. And he says, you just look at the internet and the mobile phones and everything going on, that now kids crave constant communication. Crave constant communication. It's more than just, you know, a nice thing to have. There is a craving, an addiction for constant communication. Finding peace in little thing else, the researcher said. Now I thought, ah, those crazy teenagers, that's what they do today. But then I got to thinking about my life. And when I'm out with Lori and we're shopping or whatever, and, you know, I say, Lori, I'm just going to hang right here and you go do your thing. What's the first thing I do? Pull this out, right? Because I got to catch up on my emails. I got to see what the news is. Craving constant communication giving us little time for reflection reflection, or investment. A constant 24-hour news cycle. And have you noticed it's all breaking news? Isn't that amazing? It's all breaking news. I see that coming on and it gets me every time. Breaking news, what just happened? Oh, it's cold out today. Okay, breaking news. That breaking news is pushed to our phones, it's pushed to our, our watches, and the, and the internet wants us to be restless. The internet's success is based on, is measured through click-throughs. I think I read this a, a few weeks ago, but this lady who is the uh, Irene Awe, who's the head of user experience at Google, says, our goal is to get users in and out really quickly. All our decisions, are, all our design decisions are based on that strategy. People want moving in and out. One writer, based on that, based on that that in and out strategy all the time, a guy who wrote another great book called Pop Culture, and a guy named Steve Turner says this, it's easy to imagine how this could affect people's expectation of prayer, guidance, and solving theological problems. See, we don't have time. We're getting something new all the time. It's popping up all the time. How does that impact Communication in general, how we have communication with God. See, Scripture calls us away from all that distraction. Psalm 1 says this, Blessed is the man or woman, generic, who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of the sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scoffers. When I've always read that before, I've always looked at the last part of the verse. Stay away from the wicked, stay away from sinners, stay away from scoffers. And that's part of the verse. That's true. But check out the action of this person. Walking in the council. They're always moving, right? They're walking in the council of the, of the wicked. They're standing. They're always around sinners. They're sitting at the seat of the scoffers. They're always with other people. They're always distracted by here people who aren't good to be around. Stay away from them. But the light, rather, in the law of the Lord... And on his law, 
He meditates day and night. That word meditates is a great Hebrew word. It actually is a picture of a lion or an, or an animal uh, eating prey. Now, you just flip back to your National Geographic uh, uh, watching, and you can think about that lion over that poor gazelle that just got caught and just eating and enjoying and savoring. Nothing's distracting the lion from that gazelle or whatever it is. In fact, if someone, if another animal comes near, it will growl and, and get it away. And that's the picture of Scripture. We are to, we are to take it in. We are to chew it up. We are to, we are to be nourished by it. We're to spend time with God, undistracted time, away from everything else, away from your phone, and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us. Sometimes that still, small voice about how God's Word applies to our life. There was a time about a year ago, I said, yeah, I'm going to use my phone for devotions in the morning. And it was pretty cool because I could, I could do it in the dark, right? I don't have to turn on the light shows up, and I didn't have to put my contacts in. I can just, you know, do it any distance I wanted. Well, this is pretty cool. Then I got text messages coming in early in the morning. And so I thought, man, that's a little distracting. I got to check them out. And then I learned you can put it on airplane mode. I know that, and they don't come in. But then I'd say, you know what, just before I get into the Word, I want to see if the Pirates won last night. And I got to check the box score to see if McCutcheon's average is getting raised at all. And then pretty soon I'm into a story. And then pretty soon it's like 10 minutes. And I'm away from God's word. So I said, okay, I got to stop this. I got to stop this. So I had to go back to the book. Back to reading the scripture. Call me old-fashioned if you want. You made, me, you made me more disciplined than I am. But this thing has a lot of stuff in it. It's a great tool. Just be careful that as you're reading God's word, you're not distracted by other stuff. Many times we read in Scripture that Jesus went away. The NIV uses the word solitary. Went away to a solitary place. Now we know that Jesus spoke to the Father all the time. And we are to speak to God as well. Pray without ceasing, right? We are to have an ongoing conversation with God. And... There's a time when we need to meet with God. Matthew chapter 14, verse 13, when Jesus heard what had happened, he had just heard that John the Baptist was killed. He withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Mark chapter 135, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a where? Solitary place where he prayed. Luke 4.42, at daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. John chapter uh, 6, verse 15, at, right after the feeding of the 5,000, uh, he sent the disciples out on a boat, and Jesus, knowing that they intended that the crowd, intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Jesus needed quiet, scheduled quiet time, and man, if Jesus needed scheduled quiet time, how much more do we? So schedule time with God. Sometimes we think um, uh, our day is the distracted day, right? But uh, it's always been a temptation to be distracted from what's important. 
Back in 1934, T.S. Eliot, the British uh, writer, bemoaned busyness and distractions in a, in a poem he wrote called Courses of the Rock. Listen to what he says. 1934. Could have been written yesterday. The endless cycle of idea and action. Endless invention, endless experiment. Brings knowledge of motion, but not stillness. Knowledge of speech, but not silence. Knowledge of words, but ignorance of the word. All our knowledge brings us nearer to death, but nearness to death, no nearer to God. Where is the life, capital L, where is the life we have lost in living? Where is the wisdom we have lost in knowledge? And where is the knowledge we have lost in information? We got more information now than we've ever had. But you tell me we are wiser than we've ever been. Philippians chapter 4 verse 8 says this, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, these are the things you should be thinking about. Not the breaking news, not what's being pushed to your phone. Honorable, just, pure, Lovely, commendable, excellent, worthy of praise. Think on these things. One more thing. Prayerfully plan the activities of your day. Again, simple. You've got to customize it. Prayerfully plan the activities of your day. Ephesians chapter 5 says this. Look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of your what? of your time, making the best use of your time because the days are evil. So here are some things that you can do to evaluate your time. Again, not rocket science here, but one thing you can do, I challenge you to do, if you say, I don't know how I'm using my time, if it's good or bad, then keep a log. Two weeks, keep a log, and about every hour, go back and say, here's what I did in 30-minute segments of time. If you have a job with billable hours, you do this all the time, don't you? But check out your personal time. How are you using your time? And then after two weeks, go back and evaluate it. It's either going to be very confirming, way to go, I'm using my time the way I should, or very convicting, look how much time I wasted. Number two, make a to-do list. Again, basic stuff, but let's face it, you don't write it down, you don't do it. And make sure it is an active to-do list, that you're keeping the things that are important Up at the top, you're going to have many assignments. I think a person who doesn't write stuff down they need to do that day seldom gets the things they need to do done. It's simple stuff. But we need to know this is what God's called me to do today. I'm going to get it done. I'm going to write it down so I know what it is, and I'm going to make sure it's important in my life. Make sure that meeting with God, by the way, is on your to-do list. Here's one. Plan your day the night before. I've done this. It's been helpful. Plan your day the night before. Know what you're going to do when you wake up. Maybe it's 
first thing you do. I'm not saying that everybody has to have devos in the morning. Yours may be better at noon or at night, but if you're scheduling time with God, maybe that's the first thing you do away from the phone and then be prepared to move through the day using your time well. Don't forget to schedule times with your spouse if you're married or friends or family and then keep moving forward with the most important assignments at the top. All time is God's time. So a lot of people will come to me and they'll say something like, okay, look, you know, I'm, I'm getting serious about my spiritual walk. And I want to do, usually it goes like this, I want to do more things for God. I, I, I want to get, get more involved. And it's usually, I want to get more involved in the church. I want to get more involved in a ministry. I really want to do more things for God. I got a lot of stuff going on over here, and I'm busy, but I want to do more things, get involved in the church, right? Now, there's nothing wrong with that. And we're going to talk about ways to get involved in the church in, in another sermon. But here is, here is the, the unbiblical part of that thinking. Here is the totally errant part of that thinking. That somehow time is split up into secular, this is what I have to do at my job, and sacred, oh, this is what I get to do for God. There is absolutely no place in Scripture that separates time in any way like that. All time is God's time. Whatever you are doing, you are doing something that is sacred because it is God's time. And when we begin to think like that, then that puts a different perspective on everything we do. Every assignment we have is from God. Everything you do then should be done for his glory, whether you're changing a diaper or running a business. Whether you're preparing a meal for your family, that's just as important as serving at the, at the homeless shelter. Whether you're landing a sale with integrity that honors God or whether you're preaching his word, it, it's, not, it's not different. God's given you an assignment. You're to do it for his glory. It is all sacred. Helping the needy in the city, somehow we think that's more spiritual, right? Then helping a kid with homework. It's all done for God's glory. See, we honor God by, by doing stuff here or getting on a plane and going to Mathari. It's no more holy or spiritual when you're serving in the slums of Mathari than when you're serving a neighbor here. It's all God's time. It's not sacred or, or secular. It's all sacred. Whatever you're doing during the day, you say, well, I don't like what I'm doing now. Well, then find something else to do. But right now, whatever you're doing, right, it's God's assignment. And even if you don't like it, you're still doing it for his glory because it's his time. So Harry, Harry Ironside, this old Bible teacher, he, was, he lived, I think he died in 1951. 
he was a pastor at a historic church in Chicago, Moody, Moody Church from uh, like, like 1928 to 40, 48, something like that, 20 years. Tremendous Bible scholar, a tremendous teacher. He used to teach a lot at Dallas Theological Seminary long before I got there. But when he was 12 years old, he worked for a cobbler, and he said he hated his job. He hated it. His job was the cobbler would, would put leather in water and soak the leather until it was just soaked. And his job was to take out the wet leather and then pound it and pound it and pound all the water out until it was, it was stiff and hard. And then that's the leather the cobbler used for the soles of the shoe. And Ironside says he hated it, hated it with a passion. One day he's walking home, and he goes by another cobbler's shop, and he looks in, and this cobbler has leather that's being soaked, and he watches the cobbler, and this cobbler pulls the leather out of the, out of the water, and he puts it right on the shoe as the sole of the shoe. And Ironside went in, and he said, well, wait, what would you just do? The guy I work for, he makes me pound the water out so that it's really hard. And he said the cobbler kind of gave him a wink and said, uh, well, the shoes wear out quicker and they, I get more business that way. So Ironside said, ah, good, that's a good idea. So he went back to the guy he worked for and said, we've been doing this all wrong. We've been pounding the water out and making these hard soles that don't wear out as quicker. If, if we leave them soaked, they wear out quicker, we get more business. Here's what the guy told, here's what Ironside said. My boss took out his Bible and read, whatever you do in word or deed, do it all to the glory of God. I will not allow anything to go out of my shop that is not well done. It's different with me than it is with the the other man. He does not know the Lord, but I do. And God has shown me how to cobble shoes and has put me right here to glorify him. You know, when the Lord Jesus comes again and I stand at his judgment seat, the cobbler said, I expect to find every shoe that ever went out of my shop in a big pile over there. And the Lord will take a look at every one of them. And I expect him to say, well done, good and faithful servant. See, I don't know what you do. Yeah, that's pretty good, isn't it? I don't know what you do. I'm pretty sure it's not cobbling shoes. But whatever it is, it's to be done to the glory of God. Whatever vocation you have, whatever God's called you to do, he has great things for you to do. You have been on his mind from eternity past. You are his workmanship created for the good works that he prepared in advance for you to do. And we are to do everything. It's not sacred and secular. We are to do everything to the glory of God. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do it all to the glory of God. Father, that's our prayer, and that's challenging sometimes. I have no doubt there are some people here like Ironside that just don't, they don't like what they're doing right now. 
And Father, I pray that you would give them a sense of uh, your purpose in their life. There's a plan for this particular stretch. Ask, help us to learn from you during difficult times of, 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 of work. But help us to remember, Lord, that even when we don't like it, it's still, we're still on your time. Father, help us to, to get rid of this unbiblical, errant thinking that somehow there's, there's sacred time and secular time. It all belongs to you. It is all a gift of yours. Rid us of this thinking that, oh, now I'm at work, so I'm one person, and now I'm at church, so I'm another person. Lord, help us not to have that duplicity in our lives. Teach us. Teach us to honor you through every minute of every day. And help us, Father, be true managers of your time that you give us. Thank you, Father, that in our walk with you, we get to set our own agenda. And I pray, Lord, that we would set it well as unto you. In Jesus' name, amen.